got the Bible, we had come down uh, to John Wycliffe, and we talked about that name being familiar because uh, we have heard of the Wycliffe Bible translators and all of those things, and he was a very central figure in taking Scripture and beginning to translate it into the English language. He produced an English Bible. And you remember I told you that after it was out there, several years later, uh, there were those in authority that were so angry about it that they dug up his bones and burned his bones as if that was going to do anything to him. But that, at least, is how they manifested their anger. And when we finished that, I kind of gave you a little bit of a cliffhanger by saying to you that something at that same time period, was happening over in Germany. Of course, we were in England thinking about Wycliffe and all of that, but I said in that same time period, something big time was happening in Germany. Does anybody have an idea about that cliffhanger? What was going on in Germany? So I'm hearing Martin Luther, that's about to happen. And then also at that same time, Uh, Gutenberg developed the movable type printing press. Now, how does that factor into how we got the Bible in the English language? Well, for the first time, the Bible was able to be produced in mass. And so in Germany, the world's first printing press, movable type, developed in the mid-1400s. And of course, you're familiar with that name, Gutenberg, Johann Gutenberg. And that's as important as any event as far as the spreading of written materials, including the Bible. Historians don't all agree, but many of the historians would say that actually Gutenberg the first thing he printed was the Bible. The Gutenberg Bible, you may have heard of it. It was an edition of the Latin Vulgate. Do you remember we talked about the Latin Vulgate? I know that you lay awake in bed at night rehearsing all these historical things and terms and all of that, but the Latin Vulgate was a translation of all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, into the Latin language, and so Gutenberg would take the Latin Vulgate and he would print it on the printing press. It was beautiful. In fact, you can still see completely intact first editions of the Gutenberg Bible, and not only would they lay those presses on there and press on to paper the ink and transfer the Bible, the written word, but they they did it in a beautiful fashion. It was very decorated, a lot of hand painting on it. In fact, I will show you a couple of pictures of a first edition Gutenberg Bible. You can see how very intricately it was bound in leather. And then when you look at the pages, you have all of that beautiful ornamentation. So the Gutenberg Bible, first thing printed the Latin Vulgate from the Gutenberg Press. So everything is getting just right. 
for Scripture not only to be translated into another language on parchment or whatever writing materials they had at the time, it was about to really set off because now you have the capacity to print it in volumes and the Word of God could be spread everywhere. In that same relative time frame, you have the fall of Constantinople. Some of you that are at least as old as I am, you might remember a little ditty that we used to sing, Istanbul was Constantinople. So Istanbul, Turkey today was formerly Constantinople. How did it get its name, Constantinople? Do you know? Yeah, so Emperor Constantine had moved the seat of the Eastern Roman Empire. Remember Rome, they thought, had got way too big and they split it in half. So you had the Western Empire that was still seated in Rome and you had the Eastern part of the empire that was seated in Constantinople. And so it was a city literally dreamed up and built by Constantine itself, himself rather, but it fell in 1453. It was the very nerve center of educated thought. So all the scholars, the educators were in Constantinople, but when it fell to the Islamic Ottoman Turks, those scholars began to leave in masses out of Constantinople going back westward into Europe and guess what they brought with them? They brought a lot of those Greek New Testament manuscripts that we've talked about in weeks past. At the same time, back over in Europe, and by the way, Constantinople, Istanbul today, is a city that is in both Asia and Europe. So it sits right up there on the river. On the east side of the river, it's Asia. On the west side of the river, you're in the continent of Europe. So the scholars begin to spread. They begin to leave out of Istanbul, Constantinople at the time. And Europe was ripe for them to come with all their scholarship, with their literature, their language. So things were getting really ready for the translation of the Bible into the English language. Let me introduce you to another person by the name of Erasmus. He's not a rascal. His name's not Rastus, but it's Erasmus. Erasmus was a priest and a Greek scholar. He understood the New Testament Greek. And so he published a brand new collection of all of those letters. You remember in weeks gone by, we've talked about how the letters of Paul, how the manuscripts of the Gospels, the book of Revelation, how all of those things that make up our New Testament, those things were scattered in different places. There were some collection of those, but a brand new one came together and Erasmus would take the Greek New Testament alongside a corrected Latin translation of the New Testament 
and he would put his work together in 1516. It was the first printed. So this printing press is big time because other people, you know, the, the collection of the manuscripts and all those scrolls, they wouldn't be in centers like Constantinople or Alexandria, Egypt, all those places now because of the printing press. These things were about to scatter everywhere. So Erasmus's work would be the first printed and published edition of the Greek New Testament. It was used by like Martin Luther. You know about Martin Luther in the Reformation. Uh, Tyndale, we'll talk about Tyndale in a moment. And then the King James Bible translators would be profited by the work of Erasmus because it would be his Greek New Testament that they would work out of to translate the Greek of the New Testament into English New Testaments. That would be called the Textus Receptus, which means the received text. All of that body of Greek material now is coming together in a printed form, and that printed form could be widely publicized and spread out in a lot of different places where people would have access to it and begin to take it and then translate it into other languages. Of course, what we're most interested in is English because that's our language. Let's talk very briefly about Martin Luther. And I'm going to remind myself that I'm going to talk to you very briefly about Martin Luther because when I get on to Martin Luther, I could talk to you all night. But Martin Luther is as influential as any historical figure outside of the characters of the Bible when it comes to our faith, who we are actually as Baptists. We ultimately came out of that line, not perfectly from Luther, but we come out of that line of the Reformation. Here's the thing. Luther was very disturbed with what was happening in the Catholic Church. Those of you that have studied this type of history, do you remember the really, kind of the big thing that set off the reformers that the Catholic Church was, was doing in this time frame? They, they were selling different things, but one of the big things that made everybody angry was they were selling these things called indulgences. Indulgences. So to raise money for the building of the, the new big church in Vatican City, they began to spread out to all the different outposts of the Roman church, and they would sell indulgences. In other words, you're a quote-unquote Christian, but you know what? If you wanted to go out the next night and get drunk as the proverbial skunk and do only God knows what, you could buy yourself an indulgence. I know that sounds funny, but, but listen, folks, remember this. The reason the church at that time could, could get away with stuff like this is because people did not have the Word of God in their hands. Does that make sense? 
They weren't blessed like you and I are blessed. Don't we take so many things for granted? You know, we have our, our Bibles, we have them on our phones, we can listen to them in our cars. You know, we can have as much Bible intake as we want to have because we have all of these blessings and all of these tools around us. Well, they just depended on the church and the local priest to tell them what was right and wrong. So if somebody from Rome wanted to come to that community and say, I, I can sell you an indulgence, and if you want to get out and kick up your heels, you can do anything you want as long as you buy this indulgence and you're already absolved, you're already forgiven for whatever you're planning to do. I mean, that sounds ludicrous to people like us, but that's exactly what was going on. And, and that set these reformers like Martin Luther off. They went nuclear about these things. And so he began to understand more and more that salvation did not come through the church. The church did not administer salvation through the sacraments. The church could not spiritually sell something like an indulgence, but it was all about faith alone, never imparted by the church. So Luther would be one who would help launch the big Protestant Reformation. So what he would do in hiding, he would take Erasmus's Greek text and then translate the New Testament into the German language. Do you know that English is a Germanic language? It's in that same family of languages. So what you're beginning to see here is that the Bible is now being taken from the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, and it's getting closer and closer to our English. Well, not our English. We, we're pretty good at hillbilly English. But old English, it was getting closer and closer to that. So he finished that translation in 1522. And actually... It was his German translation of the New Testament that helped standardize the German language. We're getting closer. Hang on with me tonight. Let me talk to you a little more about William Tyndale. Tyndale is, what, is like Wycliffe. I told you last time we studied this that Wycliffe is a name you recognize because you've heard of the Wycliffe Bible Translators Organization, Missions Organization today that continues to try to uh, translate the Word of God into all the different hidden languages that are out there in the world. You know, everybody needs access to the Word of God, right? So the Wycliffe Bible Translators do that. There's also an organization called the Tyndale organization that does similar work. It's really interesting when you read and study about Tyndale. He was at a dinner one night and he was sitting there with a priest who actually said to him, and I want you to listen to this quote, he said, we had better be without God's law than the Pope's. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying it's more important to us what the Pope says 
than what God says. Well, Tyndale didn't like that. It set him off, and listen to what he said. And from, from this particular occasion forward in his life, he would work feverishly to try to translate the Bible into the English language. Listen to what he said. He said, if God spares my life, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the Scripture than you do. That's huge, isn't it? See, here's what I want you to see, folks. You and I read the Bible in English tonight because there were men like this many years ago who were not cowards. In our language, men who would buck the system. Men who would say, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work with all my might to translate the Bible into English because the farmer out plowing, if he's able to read the written word, the day's going to come when he knows more of the Scripture than you do. So he decided at that moment to translate the New Testament into the English language, but guess who didn't want him to publish it? The church. Why is it, and of course you all know when I say church in a statement like that, you can go ahead and put the quotations around, quote unquote church. Why would that church not want the Bible to be published in the language of the people? Control. They couldn't sell indulgences anymore. People would become like we are today. In other words, when somebody like me stands up in front of a group of people and I say something, what are you able to do? You're able to open up your Bible or open up your Bible app. Whatever you want to open up, you can access the Word of God and you can see for yourself what's in the Bible and what's not in the Bible. So the church did not want Tyndale to publish his translation. Ultimately, he moves to Germany, and what do they have in Germany? The printing press. And it's from Germany that he would print Bibles, and he would smuggle those back to England in barrels of wine and sacks of corn and flour. He would get it back to England that way. In 1535, he published part of the Old Testament translated from the Hebrew. He became known as the father of the English Bible and the work of Tyndale. You can trace it linearly from his day, from his translation, all the way down to the translations of the Bible that you and I read today. 1530, he gets into some trouble because he criticizes a big fat king by the name of Henry VIII. You've heard about Henry VIII before. Henry VIII wanted a dismissal of his marriage to his wife Catherine so that he could marry Anne Boleyn. Well, Tyndale criticized that, but in addition to that, the Pope wouldn't allow it. And so when the marriage wasn't annulled, King Henry VIII led the English churches, the churches of England, out of 
the greater Catholic Church. So that's where you have the separation between the Church of England and the Catholic Church. Before this, all the churches in England were Catholic churches. So here you're, you're beginning to see more traction toward a wider spread English translation of the Word of God. Tyndall was betrayed in 1536 and he was strangled and burned at the stake because of what he tried to do. And his final words, well documented in history, were simply these, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Open his eyes. So that's, in a nutshell, the story of William Tyndale. Let me talk to you very briefly about the Coverdale Bible. It was completed by a man by the name of Miles Coverdale before Tyndale was executed when he was in prison in 1535. It was based on Tyndale's work, and then once it was finished, in an interesting twist, it was actually dedicated to Anne Boleyn. But the fact of the matter is, finally you had an English Bible that was able to be printed in mass in England, first complete Bible, to be printed on the printing press in the English language. Let me introduce you to another Bible called the Matthews Bible. Just the year after Tyndale died, a scholar by the name of John Rogers published an English Bible under the pen name Thomas Matthew. So it began to be known as the Matthews Bible. Complete Bible in the English language with the king's permission. So you have the Church of England at this point broken off of the Catholic Church and England's going to want to do its own thing and so the king permitted this particular translation of Scripture to be not only translated, but also to be printed and published. So what has God done? He's answered Tyndale's prayer. Lord, open up the King of England's eyes. And its New Testament translation was derivative of Tyndale's work. In fact, I don't know if you can see it, if you look on the left side there of uh, that copy, the picture of the copy of Matthew's Bible, you see those big block letters? Those are Tyndale's initials. So when the Matthew's Bible was published and printed, it bore with it the testimony of Tyndale. Let me introduce you to one more Bible that comes after that. It was called... The Great Bible, also known as the Chained Bible. You have a rendition there. You see that big book, big Bible on a lectern there. And if you'll notice, there's a chain, and they would chain them to something in the church. So Thomas Cromwell, who was an advisor to King Henry VIII, authorized Miles Coverdale to revise the Matthews Bible. So you're beginning to see this chain, you know, all the way back to uh, Tyndale, down to Matthews, now the Chain Bible. And the result was what they called the Great Bible. Archbishop of the time there in England, Thomas Cranmer, 
he ordered that a, a copy of this Bible would be placed in each of the Church of England's churches, chained down so that it couldn't be removed, it couldn't be taken out, and it was there so people could access it. Not just the priest, not just the elite religious people, but whoever wanted to come in and read that Bible in English, they could do it from the chained Bible in the church. So you begin to think, okay, here we are. The English church has broken away from the Catholic church. The Bible can now be published and printed in the language that the people know and can read and understand. But here comes a chink in that chain. Queen Mary, what she did, she was a daughter, and if you know history, you know that she was a daughter of King Henry VIII. And she comes along and she tries to restore the churches of England back to the Catholic Church. And the Matthews Bible translator John Rogers and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer were actually abducted and burned at the stake at the order of Queen Mary. Another 300 men, women, and children were also burned. So Mary got what name? Bloody Mary. So the Bloody Mary you've studied about in history back in school, this is that same Mary. The Bible was permitted. Then comes a queen who wants to return the Church of England back to the Catholic Church. And she begins to say, we can't have the English Bible. People leave Great Britain. Exiles. They would go to Switzerland and publish what was called the Geneva Bible in 1560. It was a revision of the Chained Bible, or the Great Bible, and it was the first to use Roman type in its printing instead of the black letter type. If you look over toward the right side of the screen, you see the Roman type. That's what we're accustomed to seeing. Typically, you know, if you type a paper or whatever on Microsoft Word, you might use Times New Roman. That's the Roman typeface. And so it's the first Bible that's translated not in the old English black letter type, but actually in the Roman type. So that's interesting to note. But it had within it notes. And some of you may use a study Bible. Do you have a study Bible maybe from a trusted uh, pastor or a Bible scholar and down in the margins of the Bible, it's going to have some study notes. And those study notes can be very, very helpful, but the study notes are not inspired, right? So just because there's a note in your Bible that says one thing, that does not mean that it's inspired like the rest of the words on that page. You get that. So the Geneva Bible had some notes in it, influenced by Protestant scholars. You're familiar with a name like John Calvin, John Knox. And some of the notes were very, very political. You'll understand in just a second why that's important. You'll appreciate knowing this. When the forefathers of America came to North America in 1620 on the Mayflower, the Bible they brought with them was the Geneva Bible. So this Bible that we're talking about was the Bible that came over to the New World 
on the Mayflower. It was the Bible of John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, Shakespeare. This was the Bible Shakespeare would have read. In 1640, it was actually this Bible that started omitting the Apocrypha. You remember back several weeks ago, we talked about the Apocrypha. Earlier translations would put the Apocrypha between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It would be the latter edition of the Geneva Bible that would not have that. One more Bible, the Bishop's Bible. It was commissioned under Queen Elizabeth, the Elizabethan era in England, 1568. It wasn't very popular, so people still, for the most part, preferred the Geneva Bible. One more till we get to where we'll stop tonight. The Rames Douai Bible, translated into English from the Latin Vulgate. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Gregory Martin did it while he was in France. It was completed as far as the New Testament in 1582, the Old Testament in 1609. It became the standard English translation that the Roman Catholic Church would use for centuries. So you just need to see where it fits into the order of English translations. Now here's the moment we've all been waiting for. The very next translation of Scripture into English would be what translation? Yeah, absolutely. You know where we're headed. The King James Version, there was a conference at Hampton Court in 1604, this is right on the very hills on the end of the English Reformation when our spiritual forefathers, the Puritans, began to ask the King of England, King James I at the time, to make some reforms in the English church. He denied most of them, but he did agree to a new translation of Scripture that would become known as the King James translation of Scripture. He would commission 54 scholars to produce a translation of Scripture that did not include theological or political notes. The Geneva Bible had those notes in it. The original King James version of the Bible did not have any notes. It was pure text, unlike the Geneva Bible. They were organized into six teams. They used earlier English translations. They used Greek New Testaments, going back to Erasmus. The Masoret, y'all remember a few nights ago, we talked about the Masorets that produced a very well-guarded Hebrew text. They would use the Masoretic text. It was complete in 1609, and it was published in 1611. You know that date because a lot of our friends will talk about the 1611 King James translation of Scripture, the version of the Bible that Paul used. Well, it came many years after Paul, right? But in 1611, it's been revised many times. The most common revision is the 1769. Usually... If you go to a bookstore, get on Amazon, and you order yourself a new copy of the King James Bible, it's usually the 1769 revision. Here's the bottom line. Wonderful, God-blessed translation of Scripture 
that was a word-for-word translation, about two-thirds of it can be traced back to Tyndale's work. So what I want you to see is, you know, when you stand up for things, it makes a difference, right? When you stand up and you say, you know what, the day is going to come when the plowboy is going to know more of the Word of God than you, a priest, knows. That's a big time thing. I just wanted you to see a page of the 1611 edition of the King James Bible. So that, that's what it looked like. Of course, it used the old English, but that, in a nutshell, we've gone through it very quickly, brings us up to where we are today. And then when we come back next week and, and another week beyond that, I'm going to bring this on into other things that we think about when we think about translations of Scripture. Bottom line is this, aren't we thankful that we can read the Bible in our language? We are so thankful that we can read the Bible and read it in our language and understand it for ourselves. That's the way God always intended it to be so that not a certain class of people would have access to the Word of God and that the Bible could never be abused so that you could do things like sell indulgences, etc., but that it would be out there in the common vernacular language of the people so that we could exercise what the Bible already tells us that we have, and that is priesthood of believers. Nobody stands between God and us other than our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm done tonight. Let me pray for you. And uh, I think Mr. Joe's going to come and lead you in your moments of business. Father, we thank you for these moments together. Thank you, Father, uh, for your word. As it says about itself, it is the light and the lamp that we need to direct us in this present darkness. And Father, I just pray tonight that we would never take it for granted, but that, Lord, we would always commit ourselves to being people of your word. That means people who read it and people who do it. Father, may you be honored and glorified as we become more and more all the time people of your word. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name and amen.